Section five of Celebrated Travels and Travellers, Volume three. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne Spiegel. Celebrated Travels and Travellers, Volume three. The Great Explorers and Travellers of the Nineteenth Century by Jules Verne. First part, Chapter one. The Dawn of a Century of Discovery. Five in eighteen o eight the english government decided upon sending a new mission to the punjab then under the dominion of runjit singh the anonymous narrative of this expedition published in the annale de voyage offers some particulars of interest from which we will extract a few upon the sixth of april eighteen o eight an english officer in charge of the expedition reached herdonai which he represents as the rendezvous of a million individuals at the time of the yearly fair at Borai, which is situated between Jumna and the Setlej, the traveller was an object of much curiosity to the women, who begged permission to come and see him. Their looks and gestures, says the narrative, sufficiently expressed their surprise. They approached me laughing heartily, the colour of my face amused them extremely. They addressed many questions to me, asking me whether I never wore a hat, whether I exposed my face to the sun, whether I remained continually shut up, or only walked out under shelter, and whether I slept on the table placed in my tent, although my bed occupied one side of it. The curtains were, however, closed. Then they examined it in detail, together with the lining of my tent and everything belonging to it. These women were all good-looking, with mild and regular features. Their complexion was olive, and contrasted agreeably with their white and even teeth, which are a distinguishing feature of all the inhabitants of the Punjab. Mustafabad, Molana, and Umbala were visited in succession by the British officer. The country through which he passed was inhabited by Sikhs, a race remarkable for benevolence, hospitality, and truthfulness. The author of the narrative is of opinion that they are the finest race of men in India. Putiala, Mekionara, Fegonara, Udamita, which Lord Lake entered in 1805, in his pursuit of a Maratha chief, and finally, Amristor were stages easily passed. Amristor is better built than the generality of towns in Hindustan. It is the largest depot of shawls and saffron, as well as other articles of Deccan merchandise. The traveller says, Upon the fourteenth, having put white shoes on my feet, I paid a visit to the Amristor, or reservoir, of the elixir of immortality from whence the city derives its name. It is a reservoir of about 135 feet square, built of brick, and in the center is a pretty temple dedicated to Gurugovind Singh. A footpath leads to it. It is decorated both within and without, and the Rajah often adds to its stores by gifts of ornaments. In this sacred receptacle, the Book of the Laws, written by Goran, in the Goran Muktis character, is placed. This temple is called Hermendel, or the dwelling of God. Some six hundred priests are attached to its service, and comfortable dwellings are provided for them out of the voluntary contributions of the devotees who visit the temple. Although the priests are regarded with infinite respect, they are not absolutely free from vice. When they have money, they spend it as freely as they have gained it. The number of pretty women who daily repair to the temple is very great. They far excel the women of the inferior classes in Hindustan, in the elegance of their manners, their fine proportions, and handsome features. Lahore was next visited by the officer. It is interesting to know 
what remained of that fine city at the commencement of the present century. The narrative says, Its very high walls are ornamented externally with all the profusion of eastern taste, but they are falling into ruins, as are also the mosques and houses inside the town. Time has laid its destructive hand upon this city, as upon Delhi and Agra. The ruins of Lahore are already as extensive as those of that ancient capital. Three days after his arrival, the traveller was received with great politeness by Runjit Singh, who conversed with him principally upon military topics. The Raja was then twenty-seven years of age. His countenance would have been pleasant had not the smallpox deprived him of one eye. His manners were simple, affable, and yet kingly. After paying visits to the tomb of Shah Jihan, to the Shalamar, and other monuments at Lahore, the officer returned to Delhi and the possessions of the company. To his visit was due that better knowledge of the country which could not fail to tempt the ambition of the English government. The following year, 1809, an embassy, consisting of Messrs. Nicholas Hankey Smith, Henry Ellis, Robert Taylor, and Henry Pottinger, was sent to the emirs of Sinda. The escort was commanded by Captain Charles Christie. The mission was transported to Karachi by boat. The governor of that fort refused to allow the embassy to disembark without instructions from the emirs. An interchange of correspondence ensued, as a result of which the envoy, Smith, drew attention to certain improprieties related to the title and respective rank of the governor-general and the emirs. The governor excused himself upon the ground of his ignorance of the Persian language, and said that not wishing a case of misunderstanding to exist, he was quite ready to kill or put out the eyes, as the envoy pleased, of the person who had written the letter. This declaration appeared sufficient to the English, who depreciated the execution of the guilty person. In their letters the emirs affected a tone of contemptuous superiority. At the same time they brought a body of eight thousand men within reach, and put every possible difficulty in the way of the English efforts to procure information. After tedious negotiations, in the course of which British pride was humbled more than once, the embassy received permission to start for Hyderabad. Above Karachi, which is the principal export harbour of Sindh, a vast plain without trees or vegetation exists along the coast. Five days are necessary to cross this and reach Tata, the ancient capital of Sindh, then ruined and deserted. Formerly it was brought into communication by means of canals, with the Sindh an immense river, which is, at its mouth, in reality an arm of the sea. Pottinger collected the most precise, complete, and useful details respecting the Sindh, which were then known. It had been arranged beforehand that the embassy should find a plausible excuse for separating and reaching Hyderabad by two different routes, in order to obtain geographical information on the country. The city was soon reached, and the same difficult negotiations about the reception of the embassy, who refused to submit to the humiliating exactions of the emirs, had to be gone through. Pottinger thus describes the arrival at Hyderabad. The precipice upon which the eastern façade of the fortress of Hyderabad is situated, the roofs of the houses, and even the fortifications, were thronged by a multitude of both sexes, who testified friendly feeling towards us by acclamation and applause. Upon reaching the palace, where they were to dismount, the English were met by Uli Muhammad Khan and other eminent officers, who walked before us towards a covered platform, at the extremity of which the emirs were seated. This platform being covered with the richest Persian carpet, we took off our shoes. From the moment the envoy took the first step towards the princes, they all three rose and remained standing until he reached the place pointed out to him, an embroidered cloth, 
which distinguished him from the rest of the embassy. The princes addressed to each of us polite questions respecting our health. As it was a purely ceremonial reception, everything went off well, with compliments and polite expressions. The emirs wore a great number of precious stones, in addition to those which ornamented the hilts and scabbards of their swords and daggers, and emeralds and rubies of extraordinary size shone at their girdles. They were seated according to age, the eldest in the centre, the second to his right, the youngest on the left. A carpet of light felt covered the entire circle, and over this was a mattress of silk about an inch thick, exactly large enough to accommodate the three princes. The narrative concludes with a description of Hyderabad, a fortress which would have scarcely been able to offer any resistance to a European enemy, and with various reflections upon the nature of the embassy, which had, amongst other aims, the closing of the entrance of the Sindh against the French. The treaty concluded, the English returned to Bombay. By this expedition the East India Company gained a better knowledge of one of the neighboring kingdoms, and collected precious documents relating to the resources and productions of a country traversed by an immense river, the Indus of the Ancients, which rises in the Himalayas, and might readily serve to transport the products of an immense territory. The end gained was perhaps rather political than geographical, but science profited once more by political needs. Hitherto the little knowledge that had been gained of the regions lying between Kabulistan, India, and Persia had been as incomplete as it was defective. The company, thoroughly satisfied with the manner in which Captain Christie and Lieutenant Pottinger had accomplished their embassy, resolved to confide to them a delicate and difficult mission. They were to rejoin General Malcolm, ambassador to Persia, by crossing Baluchistan, and in so doing to collect more accurate and precise details of that vast extent of country than had hitherto been acquired. It was useless to think of crossing Baluchistan with its fanatic population in European dress. Christian Pottinger, therefore, had recourse to a Hindu merchant, who provided horses on behalf of the governments of Madras and Bombay, and accredited them as his agents to Kalat, the capital of Baluchistan. Upon the 2nd of January, 1810, the two officers embarked at Bombay for Somini, the sole seaport of the province of Lhasa, which they reached after a stay at Porbunder, on the coast of Guzerat. The entire country traversed by the travellers before they arrived at Bela was a morass interspersed with jungle. The Jam, or governor of that town, was an intelligent man. He put numerous questions to the English, by which he showed a desire to learn, and then confided the task of conducting the travellers to Kalat, to the chief of the tribe, a Bizenjos, who are Baluchis. The climate had changed since they left Bombay, and in the mountains, Pottinger and Christie experienced cold sufficiently keen to freeze the water in the leather bottles. Kilat, says Pottinger, the capital of the whole of Baluchistan, whence it derives its name, Kilat, or the city, is situated upon a height to the west of a well-cultivated plain or valley, eight miles long and three wide. The greater portion of this is laid out in gardens. The town forms a square. It is surrounded on three sides by a mud wall about twenty feet high, flanked at distances of two hundred and fifty feet by bastions, which, like the walls, are pierced with a large number of barbicans for musketry. I had no opportunity of visiting the interior of the palace, but it consisted merely of a confused mass of mud buildings with flat roofs like terraces. The whole is defended by low walls, furnished with parapets and pierced with barbicans. There are about 2,500 houses in the town, and nearly half as many in the suburbs. They are built of half-baked bricks and wood, the whole smeared over with mud. 
the streets as a rule are larger than those in towns inhabited by asiatics they usually have a raised footway on either side for pedestrians in the centre an open stream which is rendered very unpleasant by the filth and rubbish thrown into it and by the stagnant rainwater which collects for there is no regulation insisting upon it being cleaned another obstacle to the cleanliness and comfort of the town exists in the projection of the upper stories of the houses which makes the underbuildings damp and dark the bazaar of kalat is very large and well stocked with every kind of merchandise every day it is supplied with provisions vegetables and all kinds of food which are cheap according to pottinger's account the population is divided into two distinct classes the bulikis and the brahawis and each of these is subdivided into a number of tribes the first is related to the modern persian both in appearance and in speech the brahawi on the contrary retains a greater number of hindu words intermarriage between the two has given rise to a third the bulikis coming from the mountains of mekram are tunites that is to say they consider the first four imams as the legitimate successors of mohammed they are a pastoral people and have faults and virtues of their class if they are hospitable they are also indolent and pass their time in gambling and smoking as a rule they content themselves with one or two wives and are less jealous of their being seen by strangers than are other mussulmen they have a large number of slaves of both sexes whom they treat humanely they are excellent marksmen and passionately fond of hunting brave under all circumstances they take pleasure in razias which they call chepeos as a rule these expeditions are undertaken by the Neruis, the wildest and most thievish of the Balakis. The Brahuas carry their wandering habits still farther. Few men are more active and strong. They endure the glacial cold of the mountains equally with the burning heat of the plains. They are of a small stature, but as brave, as skillful in shooting, as faithful to their promises as the Balakis, and have not so pronounced a taste for plunder. Pottinger says, I have seen no Asiatic people whom they resemble for a large number have brown hair and beards. After a short stay at Kalat, the two travellers, who still passed as horse-dealers, resolved to continue their journey, but instead of following the high road to Kandahar, they crossed a dreary and barren country, ill-populated, watered by the Kassir, a river which dries up during the summer, and they reached a little town called Noshki, or Nuchki, on the frontier of Afghanistan. At this place, the Baluchis, who appeared friendly, represented to them the great difficulty of reaching Khorasan and its capital, Herat, by way of Sajistan. They advised the travellers to try to reach Kerman by way of Keji and Bempur, or by Sirhed, a village on the western frontier of Baluchistan, and from thence to enter Nirmanchir. At the same moment the idea of following two distinct routes presented itself to both Christie and Pottinger. The course was contrary to their instructions, but, said Pottinger, we found a ready excuse in the unquestionable advantage which would result from our procuring more extensive geographical and statistical knowledge of the country we were sent to explore than we could hope to do by travelling together. Christie set out first, by way of Dukchak. We shall follow his fortunes hereafter. A few days later, while still at Nuch, Pottinger received letters from his correspondent at Kalat, telling him that the emirs of Sindh were searching for them, as they had been recognized, and that his best plan for safety was to set out immediately. Upon the 25th of March, Pottinger started for Sarawan, a very small town near the Afghan frontier. 
Upon his way thither, Pottinger met with singular altars or tombs, the construction of which was attributed to the Gerbers, or fire-worshippers, who are known in our day as Parsis. Serawan is six miles from the Serawani Mountains, in a sterile and bare district. The town owes its existence to the constant supply of water it derives from the Bili, an inestimable advantage in a country constantly exposed to drought, scarcity, and famine. Pottinger afterwards visited Karan, celebrated for the strength and activity of its camels, and crossed the desert which forms the southern extremity of Afghanistan. The sand of this desert is so fine that its particles are almost impalpable, and the action of the wind causes it to accumulate in heaps ten or twenty feet high, divided by deep valleys. Even in calm weather a great number of particles float in the air, giving rise to a mirage of a peculiar kind, and getting into the traveller's eyes, mouth, and nostrils, cause an excessive irritation, with an insatiable thirst. In all this territory Pottinger personated a Prizada, or holy man, for the natives are of a very thievish disposition, and in the character of a merchant he might have been involved in unpleasant adventures. After leaving the village of Gol, in the district of Dauzak, the traveller passed through the ruined towns of Asmanabad, Hefter, and Pura, where Pottinger was forced to admit that he was a Feringi, to the great scandal of the guide, who, during the two months they had been together, had never doubted him, and to whom he had given many proofs of sanctity. At last, worn out by fatigue, and at the end of his resources, Pottinger reached Bempur, a locality which had been visited in 1808 by Mr. Grant, a captain in the Bengal Sepoy Infantry. Encouraged by the excellent account given by that officer, Pottinger presented himself to the Sirdar, but instead of affording him the necessary help for the prosecution of his journey, that functionary, discontented with the small present Pottinger offered him, found means to extort from him a pair of pistols which would have been of great use to him. Basman is the last inhabited town of Baluchistan. At this spot there is a huge sulphurous spring, which the Baluchis consider a certain cure for curtaneous diseases. The frontiers of Persia are far from scientific, hence a large tract of country remains not neutral, but a subject of dispute, and is the scene of sanguinary contests. The little town of Regan, in Nermanshire, is very pretty. It is a fort, or rather a fortified village, surrounded by high walls, in good repair, and furnished with bastions. Further on, in Persia proper, lies Ben, a town which was formerly of importance, as the ruins which surrounded it sufficiently prove. Here Pottinger was cordially received by the governor. On approaching, says Pottinger, he turned to one of his suite and asked where the Feringi was. I was pointed out to him. Making me a sign to follow him, his fixed look at me, which took me in from head to foot, proclaimed his astonishment at my costume, which, in truth, was strange enough to serve as an excuse for the impoliteness of his staring. I was wearing the long shirt of a Baluchi and a pair of trousers which had once been white, but which in the six weeks I had worn them had become brown, and were all but in rags. In addition to this I had on a blue turban, a piece of rope served me as a girdle, and I carried in my hand a thick stick, which had assisted me greatly in my walking, and protected me from dogs. In spite of the dilapidated appearance of the Tatterdemalion, who thus presented himself before him, the governor received Pottinger with as much cordiality as was to be expected from a Mussulman, and provided him with a guide to Kerman. The traveller reached that town upon the 3rd of May, feeling that he had accomplished the most difficult portion of his journey, and was almost in safety. Kerman is the capital of ancient Karamania, 
under afghan rule it was a flourishing town and manufactured shawls which rivalled those of kashmir here pottinger witnessed one of those spectacles which common enough to countries where human life is of little value always fills europeans with horror and disgust the governor of this town was both son-in-law and nephew of the shah and also the son of the shah's wife upon the fifteenth of may says pottinger the prince himself judged certain persons who were accused of killing one of their servants it is difficult to estimate the state of restlessness and alarm which prevailed in the village during the entire day the gates of the town were shut and no one might pass out the government officials did not transact any business people were cited as witnesses without previous notice i saw two or three taken to the palace in a state of agitation which could scarcely have been greater had they been going to the scaffold about three in the afternoon the prince passed sentence upon those who had been convicted some had their eyes put out some their tongues split some had the ears nose and lips cut off others were deprived of their hands fingers or toes i learnt that whilst these horrible punishments were inflicted the prince remained seated at the window where i had seen him and gave his orders without the least sign of compassion or of horror at the scene which took place before him leaving kerman pottinger reached sher babig which is equally distant from yetz shiraz and kerman and thence proceeded to ispahan where he had the pleasure of finding his companion christie at miraga he met general malcolm it was now seven months since they had left bombay christie had traversed two thousand two hundred and fifty miles and pottinger two thousand four hundred and twelve meanwhile christie had accomplished his perilous journey much better than he had anticipated leaving nuch upon the twenty second of march he crossed the vachuti mountains and some uncultivated country to the banks of the helmand a river which flows into lake hamoan christie in his report to the company says the helmand after passing near kandahar flows southwest and west and enters sedjistan some four days march from duchak making a detour around the mountains it finally forms a lake at peldalek which we visited it is about twelve hundred feet in width and very deep the water is very good the country is cultivated by irrigation for half a mile on either side then the desert begins and rises in perpendicular cliffs the banks of the river abound in tamarind trees and provide pasturage for cattle sedjistan which is watered by this river comprises only five hundred square miles the portions of this district which are inhabited are those upon the river helmand whose bed deepens every year at elmendar christie sent for a hindu to whom he had an introduction the man advised him to dismiss his belechi attendants and personate a pilgrim a few days later he penetrated to duchak now known as jalalabad he says the ruins of the ancient city cover quite as large a space of ground as ispahan it was built like all towns of sejistan of half-burned bricks the houses being two stories high with vaulted roofs the modern town of jalalabad is clean pretty and growing it contains nearly two thousand houses and a fair bazaar the road from duchak to herat was easy christie's sole difficulty was in carrying out his personation of a pilgrim herat lies in a valley surrounded by high mountains and watered by a river to which it is due that gardens and orchards abound the town covers an area of about four square miles it is surrounded by a wall flanked with towers and a moat full of water large bazaars containing numerous shops and the machetta Dujana or mosque of friday are its chief ornaments 
No town has less waste land or a denser population. Christie estimates it at 100,000. Herat is the most commercial of all Asiatic towns under the dominion of native princes. It is the depot for all the traffic between Kabul, Kandahar, Hindustan, Kashmir, and Persia, and itself produces choice merchandise, silks, saffron, horses, and asafoetida. This plant, says Christie, grows to a height of two or three feet. The stalk is two inches thick. It finishes off in an umbel, which at maturity is yellow and not unlike a cauliflower. It is much relished by Hindus and Baluchis. They prepare it for eating by cooking the stalks in ashes and boiling the head like other vegetables, but it always retains its pungent smell and taste. Herat, like so many other eastern towns, possesses beautiful public gardens, but they are only cultivated for the sake of the produce which is sold in the bazaar. After a stay of a month at Herat, disguised as a horse-dealer, Christie, announcing that he would return after a pilgrimage to Meshid, which he contemplated, left the town. He directed his course to Yetz, across a country ravaged by the Osbeks, who had destroyed the tanks intended to receive the rainwater. Yetz is a large and populous town on the skirts of a desert of sand. It is called Dar-ul-Ihabet, or Seat of Adoration. It is celebrated for the security to be enjoyed there, which contributes largely to the development of its trade with Hindustan, Khorasan, Persia, and Baghdad. Christie describes the bazaar as large and well-stocked. The town contains 20,000 houses, apart from those belonging to the Gerbers, who are estimated at 4,000. They are an active and laborious people, although cruelly oppressed. From Yetz to Ispahan, where he alighted at the palace of the Emir Ul Dauli, Christie had traveled a distance of 170 miles upon a good road. At Yetz, as we have seen, he met his companion, Pottinger. The two friends could but exchange mutual congratulations at the accomplishment of their mission and their escape from the dangers of a fanatical country. Pottinger's narrative, as may perhaps be gathered from the sketch we have given, was very curious. More exact than most of his predecessors, he had collected and offered to the public a mass of most interesting historical facts, anecdotes, and geographical descriptions. Kabulistan had been, from the middle of the 18th century, the scene of a succession of ruinous civil wars. Competitors, with more or less right to the throne, had carried fire and sword everywhere, and converted that rich and fertile province into a desert, where the remains of ruined cities alone bore witness to former prosperity. End of section 5